Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. How many got the victory this morning? Hallelujah. God is so faithful to help us in our time of need. We're grateful to have each and every one of you. And especially uh, first-time visitors, we appreciate you. Second-time visitors, third-time visitors, fourth-time visitors. Amen. All of us. Amen. I'm grateful for all of you today. God is so good. Let's open up our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke and chapter 17. If you join me there, Luke chapter 17. We're going to be looking at one particular verse, but then jumping throughout the entire chapter. So keep keep the Bible open, if you will for this service, Luke chapter 17. There's a story that came out from the time in London during World War II when there was a terrible bombing campaign that the Nazis had launched against the British people. They called it the Blitz. How many ever heard of that? And during that time in World War II, uh, there was a father who was holding his small son by the hand, and there was a building nearby that had been struck by a missile. And in the front yard of that building was a hole that had been uh, carved out as a temporary shelter. And so the father, trying to protect his son from the bombs that were falling from the sky, he decided that he's going to jump into that hole It was deep enough for them to hide from the explosions above ground. He jumps in and he held up his arms so that the sun would follow him down that hole. The sun, of course, being a young boy, was terrified. And he could hear the voice of his father telling him, Jump in, son, jump in, I'll catch you. The boy replied to the father, he says, I can't see you. Too much smoke, it was dark. The boy said, I'm afraid because I can't see you, Dad. And the father, looking up from the hole, could see the outline of his son uh, lit up by the sky, tinted red around the burning buildings. And to that silhouette, the father cried back and said, I can see you, son. I just want you to jump. And because the boy trusted his father, he jumped into that dark hole and was kept safe. How many know this morning that the Christian faith also enables us to meet against very difficult circumstances? It enables us to face life even to meet death if necessary, not because of things that we can see, but because of what we believe. And this morning I want to preach on the topic of faith because I believe it is so central to our Christian lives. One person said that if you have faith, then you have everything because it is faith that connects us to God. And the opposite is also true. If you don't have faith, 
then you have nothing because you are caught off, cut off from access to God. And I want to encourage you to believe God with me this morning. I want to preach a message titled Increasing Faith. And let's, uh, let's read the scripture, Luke chapter 17, and just one verse. It says in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Can you repeat that with me? Increase our faith. That should be the desire of our hearts this morning. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I'm praying, God, for an atmosphere of faith and expectation in this service today. I'm praying, God, that you would capture our hearts and our attention, Lord, to what you want to do. Lord, that when the struggles of this life are all around us, that we might be able to hear your voice crying out to us and that we might be able to respond in faith, not to what we see, but what to what we believe. And we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen, increasing faith. So first of all, I want to remind you today that you need to care about your faith. You need to care about your faith. This is the first thing that we can pick up from the disciples is that they were being challenged. Jesus many times challenged the faith of his disciples. How many times do you read Jesus in the gospel accounts where he speaks to them and says, O ye of little faith? You've read that before. Uh, and you kind of feel bad for the disciples because, man, if you were in the same situation, it'd be hard to believe, too. One such situation was when they were in the boat and there was a storm going on. They were on the Sea of Galilee and a storm is raging. The wind is blowing. The waves are rocking that boat. And uh, they, the Bible said Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat. And they were so afraid for their lives that they thought they were going to die. They said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? We're about to die here, Jesus. He's taking a nap. This is biblical evidence that naps are important. Jesus wakes up from his nap, and he rebukes them, and he says, O ye of little faith. Right? And what Jesus was doing was challenging their sense of their faith in God. Now, I want to uh, encourage you this morning as well. We all have a certain level in our faith. Some people have little faith. I've got hope for you before the service is over. Uh, You don't need a lot. All you need is a little. But faith is something that needs to be built. We need to care about where our faith is in our lives. So let's define that for just a moment. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to believe in God, because we have a very shallow definition of that in the modern world. Um, You know, we can say things like, uh, I believe in a lot of things that I'm not even really convinced of. So when I say I believe something, uh, it's kind of a way of saying, yeah, I think something is going to happen. I believe we're going to have sunshine for the rest of the day. Do I really know that? I mean, not really. I can't know that for sure. And so we got to be careful about equating faith with the, the, the way that we use that term of, I think that I know that something's going to happen. That's not biblical faith. Faith, when I say I believe in God, I am not saying that I think that there is a creator up there somewhere, that I, I, we have more reason to believe in a creator than not. That also is not biblical faith. You know, the Bible said 
The Bible says that even the demons believe in God. You know why? They have to. They were created by God just like everybody else. But how many know they're not saved? That's not saving faith. To acknowledge the existence of something is not biblical faith. That's not what we're talking about this morning. So when Jesus, when the, the, the disciples began to ask Jesus to increase their faith, he is not just saying increase how many facts I know about God in my brain. That's not what they were asking for. They were asking that God would increase their confidence in him. What biblical faith means, the biblical definition of what does it mean to believe in God, it means this, unwavering trust. It is confidence. I know that I know. The biblical picture of faith, so I guess I can use this chair right here. Check this out. So this chair... It's a pretty sturdy chair, I think. But every time you go to sit down on a chair, isn't it interesting? You're going to stand in front of it. And now I'm about to do a procedure where I'm going to put all my trust in that thing from keeping me from falling on the floor. I'm going to fall backwards. And I'm going to put all my weight into this chair to keep me from falling on the ground. Man, I feel pretty good right here. I think I'll stay for a minute. That's what biblical faith looks like. It is a decision. I don't know for certain that that chair is going to hold me up, right? There could be some structural integrity problems here that I don't see from the outside. But I'm going to stand in front of this chair, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to put all my trust that when I fall backwards, it's going to keep me from breaking my head open on the floor. In the same way that you put your trust in that chair that you're sitting in, this is also what biblical faith looks like. I'm going to believe you, Lord, that even though I don't know everything, even though I don't know how it's all going to work out, I'm going to have an unwavering trust that you've got me. Listen to Romans 4, verse 20, speaking about Abraham. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced. Did you hear that? Fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Think about Abraham there for a moment. The Bible tells us that, uh, that Abraham was 70 years old when God spoke to him for the first time. Y'all know any 70-year-olds? You don't see a whole lot of 70-year-olds giving birth to babies. Is that true? <laughs> and so the story in Abram's life doesn't even begin until he's 70. God gives him a promise, and then there's time that passes. And this scripture is speaking about that time in between where God gave him the promise of an heir to his, to, uh, his inheritance, and he's going to have a son, and that son is going to give birth to a nation. And Yeah, but Lord, I'm 80 years old now. Where, where is this promise that you told me about? And the Bible says simply that Abram believed God. In other words, God gave him a promise, and God, I'm going to believe you. I'm, I'm, I, I don't see how it's going to work out. I don't see a whole lot of 80-year-olds having babies. But Lord, somehow, you're going to make it happen. Let me ask you, do you have that kind of confidence and trust 
in God. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not just mental uh, decision. But faith is a fully convinced soul. Hebrews 11 verse 1, the famous definition of faith in the Bible says, now faith is the substance. Some, some translations call it the title deed. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So how many of you own a house or have a, a bank that owns your house? Uh, so when you purchase a home, they give you a document. And that document is a title deed. You own that property. And so that means if I own the property, that means nobody else owns that property. That's what it means to have property rights. That means this is my property. That means it's not your property. There can only be one property owner. And the proof that I own the property is the title deed. And I don't have to have that title deed posted on the front door. I can keep it in a drawer. But if it's ever needed, if there is some kind of lawsuit, if there is some kind of question, then I can produce this document and I can prove that it's my property. In the same way, our faith is the title deed of the things that we believe. Our faith is the evidence in the things that we don't see. In other words, how do we believe in an, an invisible God? Well, it's your faith. That's the proof that God exists, that he is alive, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Look at your life. Look at the decisions that you make in faith. That is the evidence of God. Your faith, can I remind you this morning, your faith is the single most important issue of your life. Why would I say that? Because your faith determines how close you are to God or how far away you are. Hebrews 11.6, listen to this scripture. Without faith, it is impossible. Say impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's why this is a primary important issue in your life. Without faith, you cannot please God. But with faith, it can unlock everything that God has for you, for your family, for your future, for your finances. Anything that you get from God comes by faith. Is that true? And faith is what unlocks the spiritual dimension with God. The Bible never says, he that loves shall be saved. The Bible never says, he who gives shall be saved. The Bible never says that he who understands will be saved. The Bible does say, Mark 16, 16, he who believes will be saved. That's why it's more important than how much money is in your bank. That's why it's more important than how much furniture you have in your house. It's more important than the clothes that you wear or the hairstyle you choose. Your faith is the most important part of your life because that is the key that unlocks repentance, forgiveness, and every promise that God has for your life. It doesn't come through simple, simple mental acknowledgement. So the disciples are reminded here that they need faith. Are you reminded of that this morning? I hope you are. You need faith. Anything that you have from God has come from faith, has come through faith. 
And I want to challenge you this morning, if we want to experience more of God, it happens when your faith is increased. So let's look at the desire versus the reality, because Jesus, again, he challenged the faith of his disciples. Matthew 8, verse 26, and it's actually five times in the gospel that he says something like this. Matthew 8, 26, this is that story when they were on the sea. He said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The disciples realized, and I hope what you realize here this morning, is that we need our faith to increase. We need it to not just remain static. So we all reach a certain level, right, in faith, whether wherever you are in your life, you know, you, you might be brand new to this Christian thing. But the fact that you showed up to church this morning tells me that there is some level of faith in you, that you understand that it's important to hear the word of God and to, to be there. Uh, maybe you came at the invitation of someone this morning. Uh, that tells me that there is a certain level of faith. But see, the goal of every church service ought to be, I need an upgrade in my faith. I need an increase in my faith. It's not enough to stay where I am for the rest of the life that God gives me. Whatever, maybe you're here and you've been saved for 50 years. And you know, you've been through some battles and some things in the past and you've seen God move and you are confident in the power of God. But guess what? Even that is faith that can be increased. You know that? That our salvation, it continues to advance and mature and we can grow and become more like Christ with every passing day, no matter where you are. In Mark chapter 9, we looked at this last night in our Bible study about the father who was demon-possessed and Jesus uh, challenged him. And it says in Mark 9, 24, the father of the child cried out with tears, said, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. We can all find ourselves in that statement. Okay, I have achieved, I have a certain level of faith. I've made it this far, but Lord, I need you to help me in the places where I don't believe. And I would, I would guess that every person here, there are places in your life where you have a firm and a, uh, an unwavering trust in God. Maybe Maybe when it comes to your salvation, you don't question that. Thank God you believe his promises. But then at this other issue of your life, maybe your marriage or maybe your finances or maybe your future, you're like, oh, God, I don't know about all that. You know what I'm saying? Like you can have different parts of your spiritual life that, and the faith is not consistent throughout your life. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 3, it says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity of all of you toward each other abounds. And so Paul is rejoicing there about the church in Thessalonians. He says, I noticed something about you. I noticed something about your fellowship, about your church services. I noticed that from the last time I was there until this time that I came, your faith has grown. You've reached another level. And he, he rejoices about that. If I was to look at your life, could I say that your faith has grown exceedingly? Charles Spurgeon, famous English preacher, when he commented on this, this portion of Scripture, when the, the disciples desired for an increase in faith, he said, they didn't say, Lord, keep our faith alive. 
He, they didn't say, Lord, sustain it as it always has been. But their prayer to Jesus was, increase our faith. For they knew it's only by the increase of faith that we can stay alive at all. Interesting thing to know about sharks in the ocean. Sharks uh, are an interesting creature. They're ancient. And they, they actually, something interesting is that they don't have any muscles in their body to push water through their gills. And so if you look at a shark, even while it's sleeping, you will notice that it's always moving forward. The muscles that they use to push water through their gills and gain oxygen to stay alive, those, they have to use their tail muscles to move forward through the water, that the water is passing their gills. They don't have muscles in the gills to do that like other fish do. Sharks have to constantly be moving forward if they're going to stay alive. You know, that's true about us too. We cannot stay still. The Christian who is stagnant, the Christian who has gotten stuck, the Christian who has plateaued in their faith, uh, they are dying. They're getting further away from God rather than closer to him. What about you this morning? Is your faith growing? One of the best prayers you could pray for somebody is, Lord, increase their faith. Help them to have an unwavering confidence and trust in your word to believe that you are on your throne. So let's close and look at how do we increase our faith? How do we increase our faith? So first thing I want to share with you is that even the mustard seed of faith, even the tiniest amount of faith is enough with God. (laughs) So we have a good starting place. Now, when Jesus heard their, uh, their, their, um, that their desire to be increased in their faith. It's interesting. The first thing he says back to them, Luke 17, verse 6. They say, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the root and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So his first response was, hey, guys, do you even have a little bit? Then you can do a lot. He doesn't deny that faith can be increased, but he starts in this position. He says, listen, wherever you're at in your faith journey, understand that God can do a lot with a little. So if you've come in here with wavering faith, if you've come in here with, uh, with wimpy faith, you've come in here with a lack of faith uh, or, or something, you, you know that your faith can be, so don't be discouraged because the Lord can do a lot with a little that's good news. He says, even wherever you are, guys, before we talk about increasing, understand if you, the faith that you have now, if you believed, if you said to that tree, be removed and planted into the sea, it would obey you. Something interesting about that tree that Jesus called out, it's a mulberry tree. Why is that interesting? Well, because the mulberry tree was connected. Everybody would have known when Jesus mentioned this tree, what it was about. We don't know today because we don't, know the, we don't live in those times. But what was not known to us today, what was known by everybody that Jesus said it to, it, it was because that tree was the tree that they used to, to harvest the wood which Jews would use to build their caskets for their dead. The reason is because the mulberry tree was a tree that was prone to not degrade over time. 
So maybe uh, they use different trees for different things, but this tree was known to be the wood that they use for building caskets. And so immediately when he mentions the mulberry tree, it's the idea of coffins. It's the idea of resisting decay as funerals come to mind, the use of that tree. I believe Jesus did this on purpose. He said, if you said to that mulberry tree, the tree that's known for lasting forever, be removed and cast into the sea, Jesus is talking about power over life and death. That even the, even the, the faith, the, the starting point of just having the mustard seed, the tiniest amount of faith possible, he says, that is enough to conquer death. That's a lot. If we would trust him. How do we increase faith then? Faith, as we mentioned last night in our Bible study, faith is like a muscle. Now you have muscles in your body. Some muscles are weak and some are stronger. And if we went across uh, the, the congregation tonight and, you know, we had some weights up here and we measured how strong your bicep was and some people would, would be able to lift 10 pounds, no problem. Some people could get up to 30 and 40 and 50 pounds and there would be a few who you put 30 pounds in their arm, they can't do it. I can't, it's not strong enough. But then there's some people you could put 50, 60, 100 pounds in their hand and they go, see that? And that's because different people have different muscles. Isn't that right? So the question is, how do you go from lifting 10 pounds to lifting 100 pounds? It's exercise. You have to use it. Muscles do not build on their own. They have to be broken down so that they can be built back up. Is that true? That's what, uh, on a chemical level, that's what's happening when you work out your muscles. What's happening is there is, there is the, the tissues of each a muscle fiber, there, there's actually a, a process of destruction happening on a molecular level. And you're breaking things. That's why your muscles get sore when you go to the gym. And when your muscles get sore, that's actually a good sign because what you, your, your body's going to go back and heal those muscles. And when it heals, they're going to be stronger the next time you exercise. And little by little, after time, even if you're the person that can only lift the 10-pound weight, well, next time, in two weeks or in a month, you could probably go to a 15-pounder, no problem. And then a month from then, you can go and do 20 or a 30, right? Because your muscles grow through using them. This is also true with faith. How can your faith grow? You have to use it. You have to put it into practice. What does it look like? You have to believe God for things. But pastor, I'm scared. Exactly. Living by faith is not comfortable. It means doing things that require you to believe God. (laughs) This is why God puts tasks in front of us that we feel unequipped for can't you can't you identify with moses and he he's there he sees the burning bush and he gets close and now god begins talking to him and 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 god uh says to him hey moses i got a job for you and moses was like you got the wrong guy man that's not me that is definitely not me you better go find somebody else god because you know what this mouth doesn't know how to talk the way that you need this per the deliverer guy that is going to go set the people free. Definitely not me, God. Better find somebody. How many ever felt like that? God put a task in front of you and he gave you a vision and he gave you promise. And you're like, Whoa, that might be good for the pastor, 
Definitely not for me. I can't do that. Okay? But how did Moses' faith grow? He had to exercise. God puts uh, those kinds of tasks in front of us because he understands. That's the only way it'll grow. Another key to increasing faith is surviving offenses. Faith is a plant that needs to grow in certain kind of atmosphere, a certain kind of soil. And Jesus, if you look at this chapter again closely, you'll see that he just finished explaining his expectations about how we're supposed to forgive people when they've offended us. In fact, this is the thing that caused the disciples to say, whoa, we don't have enough faith for this. Listen to what he said. He said to the disciples, this is verse 1, it is impossible that no offenses should come. How many figured that out already? You live life for about five minutes, there will be some offenses. But woe to him through who they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea than that he should offend little ones. Take heed to yourself. And if your brother sins against you, here's where it gets real. If your brothers, if your mother, if your sister, if your cousin, if your uncle, if your auntie, if your fellow church member sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That's what we're supposed to do as believers, right? And then Jesus said, if he sins against you seven times in a single day, what a jerk. And seven times in that day returns to you saying, I repent, please forgive me. Jesus said, then you need to forgive him. Heck no. This is where the disciples said, okay, okay, Lord, you need to increase our faith. Because where we're at now, I don't see that happening. They're like Moses at the burning bush. You better find somebody else here, Lord, because I don't think I can do this. That's why we need our faith to increase. There are people who have come to church. There are people who are good believers, people who have had a relationship with God. But this issue of dealing with offenses has kept your faith from increasing. This issue of having to forgive someone who sinned against you. People who get stuck in bitterness. Can I preach this morning? People who get stuck in bitterness, they're like frozen in time. If you're not careful, you can, you can be uh, physically living each day, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally stuck in 1975. That moment that you were offended and you're reliving it in your mind every day, and you're saying, God, kill them. Jesus said, when, when they ask for forgiveness, we're supposed to forgive. Now, I should say, uh, by the way, that it's when they ask for forgiveness. Because guess what? Not everybody asks for forgiveness. Not everybody repents. To the person who's been offended and that person has, uh, has never asked you to forgive them, uh, well, you know, even Jesus doesn't forgive until we ask to, him to forgive us, until we ask for his forgiveness, correct? We repent. The, Jesus says that forgiveness is available to all through salvation, but only to those who repent. And so for those of us, uh, maybe someone has, uh, has offended you, has sinned against you, and you're like, man, they never asked me to forgive them. But in your heart, you've got to be willing to forgive whenever that day comes. If that person, maybe God would deal them at, with them at some point in their life, and they would say, huh, huh, 
I wonder if that person is angry at me. You know, it's possible to, to sin against somebody without even knowing it. It's possible for us to be offended by someone they had no idea. That's why the Bible said, Jesus said, you should go to them and tell them. Matthew 18, Jesus repeats this principle. If you are offended by your brother, you should go to him and tell him. Let there be communication. Don't just uh, sit there in your stinky diaper for the rest of your life. Change the diaper. Let's, let's move forward, yes? And when that person realizes that they've sinned, that they've offended you, there's got to be a readiness, a willingness. And I'm telling you, this is an issue of faith. This is an issue of, God, I, I, I need to believe you for this. The final thing to build our faith is Jesus mentions here about a servant's heart. Look at verse 7. Which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will you not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and prepare yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drink? And afterward, then you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded? I don't think so. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Jesus making a point here when, to the response. Remember, the question was, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus talks about the principle of serving. If you are a servant in a household... He's, Jesus is saying that you've been out plowing the field all day and you come home, you're tired, you're dirty, you're sweaty, you come back to the house. The master of the house does not say, hey, come and sit here with me. No, he says, now you're going to come cook my dinner. <laughs> and the, the, the good servant simply does that and says, hey, this is what the servant is supposed to do. And this in the context of our relationship with God, our position with God, he has purchased us with a price, hasn't he? He has purchased you. That means you don't belong to you. That means you don't get to sit with God and help him make decisions. I know some of y'all want to do that. Lord, if I was you, here's the, here's the way things would go. And we want to tell God what he's supposed to do. But we don't see ourselves uh, in that relationship with God. We should see ourselves as servants who simply are here to obey the commandments of the Lord. And the good thing is, where Jesus is describing masters and servants, you know, that really stinks because masters are sinful human beings and they mistreat their servants. But God's not like that. God doesn't mistreat his servants. When we would simply see ourselves as obedient to Christ and be willing to do whatever he puts in front of us, this is how our faith can increase. So in other words, when God gives us something to do, we don't say, but why, God? I'm not supposed to. If God put it in front of you, then it is our duty to obey. See, our faith is trusting that God knows what he's doing. Do you still think that God is smart enough to know what's best for your life? Do you think that's, that God is still big enough to handle whatever, he, whatever situation he puts you in? David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that means when I'm afraid to die, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I believe, God, you're big enough to protect me even in this situation. 
This is how we can see our faith grow, church. This is how we can see our faith increase. And when we see our faith increase, it is a, it is a circle of blessing. It is a circle of compounding interest that the more we believe, the more we will receive. See, people want it the other way around. They say, I want all the blessings, and then I'll believe. Isn't that true? God, I want you to change all of the bad things and turn the bad things into good things. Oh, and then I'll believe you. But that's not how it works. The way that it works is when you believe, God pours out his spirit. Anything that we receive from God comes by faith. And so I I want to repeat one more time. How's your faith? Do you have the desire to see an increased faith this morning? At this altar, you can have the same desire of the hearts of these disciples. Say, Lord, increase my faith today. Let's bow our heads. Closing our eyes for just a moment.